there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Uh, before we get into the message uh, this morning, I'll let you in on a little secret uh, that, that I think every pastor, every preacher probably experiences in their life. Uh, it seems the, the subject that you're going to preach on on Sunday is the, is the arena or the subject that you're going to battle all week long. Uh, so let, let me give you an example. If I were to be preaching on anger today, which I'm not, uh, but if I were going to be preaching on anger today, there would have been 35 people pulled out in front of me or flip me the bird on 278, and it would have tested me uh, in, in my anger. The Lord <laughs> would allow that to happen. If I were going to preach on lust today, uh, then I might have a week where uh, the flesh takes over and I struggle in that arena. Um, I tell you that uh, because today we're going to uh, kind of preach a little bit on the subject of anxiety, uh, on worry and fear and doubt and depression, all, all those things that, that anxiety uh, creates. Now, one of the things that I love about this church uh, here at Elevate is I don't have to be anybody but myself. I can just be me, uh, and that's incredibly freeing. I don't feel like I have to be... Um, I don't have Kevin and then preacher Kevin, if, if that makes sense. I can just be me. Uh, and so uh, one of the things that many of you who have kind of been around for several years may know about me is that I struggle immensely uh, with anxiety. Uh, it is, of all the sins in my life, uh, this is the most prevalent and this is the longest lasting for, for, mo for all of my adult life. Um, I have struggled uh, with anxiety. Uh, and so I want, I want to say this because this is a confessional, uh, but it's opposite. You're not coming into my office and confessing your sins to me. I'm confessing to you and to you online, and who knows how far that'll go. Uh, but I struggle with anxiety. Now, he, here's what I want to be crystal clear about, and I want you to understand. This anxiety this worry and this fear and this doubt is a sin. It, it is sinful behavior. Um, it, it is not a permissible sin. Like we, we like to pick on the drug addicts and the sex offenders, but we, it's okay to gossip and worry. Uh, no, this is, this is sin. This is a sin struggle that I find myself in. Okay, now the reason I'm kind of giving you this precursor uh, on anxiety uh, is because I've told you before uh, that when I uh, am up here preaching, uh, I always want you to envision there's a big mirror in front of me because I'm not, because I'm going to kind of come at you a little hard today. Uh, I'm not actually coming at you. I'm coming at myself, uh, if that makes any sense at all. So um, with that in mind, I, I want to do what we did last service. I just feel like we need to invite the Holy Spirit to kind of settle our hearts and get our attention ready. And so I'm just going to ask him to kind of wrap himself around our service uh, this morning. So would you just bow your head and pray with me? Uh, our Father in heaven, Lord, um, I, I pray for the person in here who, uh, who just walked in here feeling just beat to pieces, man. Their heart's anxious. They're troubled. 
They're not sleeping. They're, they're, they're taking Tums and heartburn medicine. Their, their blood pressure's up. Th th those byproducts that are created with an anxious heart. Lord, when I read your Bible, I, it becomes pretty apparent and, and, and crystal clear to me that you, your desire for us as your children is not to walk around being stressed out and anxious. Your desire for us as your children is to have abundant life. Your desire for us is to walk in the peace that's afforded to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Your, your purpose for us in life is not to be stressed out and maxed out and almost rendered useless, but your purpose for us is to walk in joy, to live in hope, and to live our lives for your purpose. I pray right now, uh, not only for myself, but for anyone in here who struggles with this, this sin. Lord, maybe, maybe today is the day that they come face to face with it. Maybe today is the day that the Holy Spirit penetrates their heart and, and, and speaks life into them. And so with that in mind, Lord, we invite the Holy Spirit in here to just wrap his arms around us this little body of believers here in Hiram, Georgia. We, we crave and, and we desire his presence. It's in the beautiful name of our Savior we pray. Amen. So I want to begin this morning by kind of asking you three questions, and they're very, they're very simple questions. Question number one is this. Uh, ha have you ever worn a pair of shoes that are just absolutely uncomfortable? Just anybody wore a pair of shoes that are uncomfortable? Yeah, okay. So they're, they're your size and you, you like the way they look and you think, oh, these are really going to look good on my feet. I'm going to look stylish. And so you buy the shoes only to find out that, man, these are the most, like within minutes, you're like, these are the most uncomfortable shoes that I've ever put on my feet. Um, I, I often think about uh, women who wear high heels. Now, uh, I don't wear high heels. There are some men that like to. I don't. Uh, I, I just can't imagine those shoes being comfortable. Uh, and some of you wear them for like eight hours a day. So I think we've all had a pair of shoes that just made our feet hurt. Question number two is this. Have you ever worn a pair of shoes that were just inadequate? Like they weren't the right shoes for what you were doing? I, so in other words, uh, you, you wouldn't want a pair of flip-flops if, if we had a blizzard, unless your name's Lindy Barton. Uh, my, wife, my wife has two pair of shoes. She has a pair of work flip-flops and a pair of dress flip-flops, and they look exactly the same. But you know, most of us aren't going to wear flip-flops in the, in the storm. Uh, you're not going to put on wingtips and go to the YMCA and play full court basketball because you're not gonna be able to walk the next day. So uh, has anybody ever had inadequate, like the wrong footwear for the wrong occasion? Yeah, a couple of you. All right, and then, and then the third question is this. H have you ever worn a pair of shoes that just didn't fit? Anybody? Didn't fit? <laughs> yeah. When I was around third, in the third or fourth grade, my grandparents sent me to um, my very first Christian camp. 
Uh, it, was in, it was in Strasburg, Virginia. It was called Tri-State Christian Service Camp. And I had never been. I didn't know what to expect. And so uh, I was super excited because it was like three nights, you know, camping out in the bunkhouse and, and away from, you know, parents and all that. And I was super excited. And I got my bags packed and got dropped off. Uh, and one of the very first things they did is they, they, they let us go swimming. Now, at this point, the camp I went to didn't have a swimming pool. They had a swimming hole, um, and the swimming hole was in the Cedar Creek. The Cedar Creek kind of ran through Tri-State. So there's this big area where you were allowed to swim, but the only rule was this. You couldn't swim barefoot. You had to have shoes on because of the rocks and stuff on the, on the bottom. And so nobody told me, nobody told my grandparents that, hey, he needs two pairs of shoes. He needs a pair of shoes to swim in, and then he needs a pair of shoes to kind of do everything else in. Well, when I was about to get in the creek, I was going to get in the creek barefoot. I said, no, you need to put shoes on. So I put my shoes on. And there's no way a third or fourth grader is not going to uh, swim. So I said, well, I guess I'm going to have wet feet the whole week. So I jumped in. Man, I had uh, the time of my life just swimming around that creek and, and got out and was like, well, I'm going to have wet shoes for, for the entire week. It took about half a day walking around on those wet, soggy shoes. My little third grade toes were like little raisins, you know, just all pruned up and dried up, had a blister on one of, on one of the bottom of one of my feet because I was walking around in these wet shoes and I thought to myself, what am I gonna do? I, I can't take this. And I, you know, I should have just talked to an adult, <laughs> but I didn't trust adults when I was in third grade, so I didn't. And so for, for that like half a day, I was miserable. Well, luckily, this kid that I had met there had brought three pairs of shoes with him. And he said, listen, you can borrow a pair of my shoes, but you can't take them in the creek. You already got your shoes wet. But so you, you use your shoes to go swimming and then you can use mine to walk around. And I was so grateful until I put those shoes on because they were literally two or three sizes too small, right? Like my toes were all kind of crunched up. But when I first put them on, I was like, oh, this is great. My feet are dry. They're warm. And about 15 minutes, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. This isn't going to work because my toes, my feet are killing me. And so what I did was I put those shoes on just to walk to and from places. And as soon as we got somewhere, I took them off. Uh, um, and I didn't participate in kickball or basketball or softball, any of these sports, uh, because my feet hurt so bad. And it got so bad that the like, counselors were coming up to me and saying, is everything okay at home? You know, what's going on? Why don't you want to participate? And I, I was like, my feet hurt. <laughs> um, man, it was, it was one of the most miserable three days of my life because my feet killed me the entire time. I learned at a very young age the importance of wearing shoes that fit. That you've got to have good shoes. You've got to have adequate and comfortable shoes. If there was a podiatrist in here, he or she would tell you that good foot health is critical. It's essential for an active life. Your foot has 26 bones, 33 joints, and over 100 muscles, ligaments, and tendons. And your feet are incredibly complex. They serve as the foundation for our entire body in the terms of support and balance and posture and movement and overall well-being. You got to have good shoes. We're continuing with our series, that, uh, that ne the never-ending series here that we've been in since January. Uh, we started with talking about 
an inside war for eight weeks that we face. Uh, and here's what we said. As a Christian, you have three great enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is the systems in which the flesh and the devil operate. All right, and so we spent eight weeks talking about this war going on inside of us, this inner war between our flesh and the Spirit of God. And now we've moved to this war that goes on outside of us, the war that we have with the devil, this outside war. And the way we're to combat this outside enemy, according to the Apostle Paul, is with the armor of God. That we're supposed to armor up and go out and battle the devil and all of his minions. And so we've talked about the belt of truth. Remember, we said we've got to stand in the center of that truth. There has to be moral absolutes. There has to be definite right and wrong. And we've got to kind of pitch ourselves in the middle of God's truth. And then we talked about the breastplate of righteousness and said, listen, that's what covers our heart. It's not our own righteousness. It's, it's the righteousness of God that covers us and protects us. Well, today, as you can guess, we're going to move on to the third piece of armor, and we're going to talk about shoes. We're going to talk about our feet for a little bit. Today, we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul calls the shoes of peace. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to launch from Ephesians chapter 6, this armor of God passage. And we're going to look at verse 15, where, where Paul is describing this armor of God. And here's what he says in verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now remember, Paul is in jail. He's watching this Roman Praetorian palace guard, and he's equating the armor of God that he has on with the armor that Christ leaves us, right? These virtues that we are to fight the devil with. And he tells us that we have to put on shoes. And what he's referring to is the shoes that a Roman soldier would put on their feet. Uh, now listen, uh, I'm going to show you a picture of these. It's going to come on the screen. What we're talking about is sandals. All right, now these aren't like Birkenstocks uh, or, or Crocs or flimsy flip-flops. These are very sturdy shoes. And one of the things that I want you to notice about these shoes that the Roman soldiers wore is they, they literally drove nails through the shoes so that there were spikes on the bottom of them. So that, that uh, all Roman soldiers had these spiked shoes. And they had these spiked shoes to give them traction. If you study the Roman army, they marched up and down and over and through on all types of treacherous terrain, and they fought, and you had to have good footing. And so the purpose of these spikes were for them to be able to put their feet in the ground and to stand firm while they, while they fought. Those of you who maybe have played football in middle school or high school or, or maybe even college, uh, you realize you, when you go out on the football field, you don't wear a pair of wingtips or you don't wear a pair of, of, of just running shoes to play football because if you did, you'd slip all over the field, right? What does the football player put on his feet? Cleats, right? And it's kind of the same concept. That these little divots, these little cleats grab the ground so you're able to have traction. All right, these are the shoes that Paul tells us to put on for the very same reason. These shoes of the gospel of peace give us sure footing under attack. And so when anxiety or depression or doubt 
or worry or fear, those things that attack your peace of mind, when those attacks come and begin to encircle you, you've got to have sure footing. And Paul tells us the footing that we need is the peace that comes through the gospel. Do you know what the opposite of peace is? Anxiety. The opposite of peace is anxiety. So let me ask you a question. Those of you who are like me, right, and you live in constant worry, constant anxiety, constant restlessness, do you think God wants you as his child to live that way? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. God wants us to live in his peace. The peace that Paul speaks about in relation to the shoes is calmness and tranquility of the soul despite external circumstances. These are the shoes that we're to wear. These are the shoes that we're called to fight and, and, and walk in. Now, so out of the gate, here's the first thing I want you to notice about th this passage. I want you to note that when Paul talks about putting on these shoes, he's not talking about peace with God. He's talking about the peace of God. You already have peace with God. We went over that last week. When you were saved, you put on the breastplate of righteousness. His blood covered you. Our own righteousness is like filthy rags. He covered, he protected our heart. So we've got peace with God. We're no longer in conflict at, in war with God. And when he moves on to these shoes, he's talking about not only having this peace with God, but actually attaining the peace of God. And there's a vast difference. There's a huge difference between the peace of God and the peace of the world. All right, you can try to find peace in worldly things, but they're not going to last. All right, so look, think of it this way. The peace that the world offers you is an outside-in peace. Okay, it's peace that starts on the outside and then makes its way on the inside, okay? And so it kind of looks like this. As long as things are going okay on the outside, I'm going to have peace on the inside. As long as I'm gainfully employed, as long as I'm healthy, as long as there's no type of relational conflict or, or addiction, as long as things are going peaceful on the outside, then I'm going to be peaceful on the inside, right? As long as, as my kids behave, as long as I have money and friends and good wine and it's all calm, I'm good. As long as I get my way and the circumstances around me are favorable, then I'm at peace. That is the world's peace. It's an outside in peace. Y'all getting cold? I turned the air on because it was so hot in here. My, my apologies. I just had to preach harder and warm you up. All right, so that's, that's the outside in peace, right? So the, the peace that Paul's talking about here, that the peace of God is the opposite. It's an inside out peace. So let me be clear real quick. Having the peace of God does not mean that storms aren't going to come in your life. Having the peace of God means that we know he is with us, will walk us through the storms of life when they come, right? So there's, there's a difference, right? So this peace of God is an inside-out peace. 
It's a, I'm at peace from the inside. My soul is at rest. My soul is whole. I am peaceful. And when things go wrong on the outside, I'm okay because I have the peace of God flowing in me, through me, outside and around me. It's this inside, outside peace. So this has been beautifully uh, illustrated by an old sermon illustration about a king who wanted his subjects, all the artists in his kingdom. He said, listen, I want you to paint for me the perfect picture of peace. So, so do this artwork and thousands of, and he said, listen, you're going to get paid. Whoever wins, I'm going to give you a huge sum of money. And so all these people kind of sent, you know, brought these paintings and the king narrowed it down to two paintings. He's like, I like these two. I'm not sure which one wins. I'm going to look at them for, for, for a little bit longer. One painting, one picture was this picture of this calm lake. The lake was like a perfect mirror. It was just beautiful and pristine. You had these towering mountains around it, and they were lush with greenery. Overhead was this beautiful blue sky with those like puffy white clouds. And all who saw that picture said, man, this is the perfect picture of peace. The other picture that the king liked also had mountains too, but they were rugged, jagged, and bare. Above, the sky was angry with rain and lightning everywhere. Down the side of the mountain tumbled this massive, powerful, huge, foaming waterfall. And the people looked at it and they said, this doesn't look peaceful at all. But then the king looked closely and he saw behind this waterfall, this tiny bush growing out of the crack of the mountain. And in the bush, a mother bird had built her nest. And there in the midst of the, the rush of angry water and lightning and rain and dark sky, the mother bird sat on her nest in perfect peace. And the king chose that picture to win. And he explained, I chose this picture to win because peace doesn't mean to be in a place where there's no noise, no trouble, or no hard work. Peace means to be in the midst of those things and still be calm in your heart. That's the real meaning of peace. And that's the peace that God offers us today when we put these shoes on. The peace of God. Paul explains it, and when people come to me for counsel and they're struggling with worry and anxiety, uh, this is the, the, the first chapter of the Bible I always point them to is Philippians chapter 4. If you're struggling with this, Philippians 4 is your chapter. And listen to what Paul writes in Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about what? Anything. But in what? Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And here it is. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The reason, hear me, and remember, there's a mirror right here, okay? The reason many of you may be living a life of anxiety and doubt and worry and fear is because you have your anything and your everything mixed up. Let me say that again. The reason you're anxious is because you have your anything and your everything mixed up. Look at verse 6 again. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer. That's what the Scripture reads, but here's how most of us live it, right? Be anxious about everything, 
and don't pray about anything. And so in order to combat this, you've got to get your everything and anything back in the right place, right? So the, listen, this is no secret. The more we pray, the more we spend time with God, the less anxious we will be. The less anxious we'll be. I mean, that's, that's just the fact. Your, your, your anything and your everything is all mixed up. One of my wife's good friends over here. It's freezing. I'm so sorry. Don't be anxious, Shelly. <laughs> I'm getting hot, so. I love how Tony Evans describes the peace of God. He describes it this way. He says, the peace of God is this, tranquility on the inside despite the chaos on the outside. And listen, I know a lot of you are living in chaos. You've got loved ones who might have health issues. You've got financial issues. You've got relational issues. You've got job issues. You've got cranky neighbor issues. You've got all these things, right? And, and so many of you are living in chaos. And listen, I have been there. When everything is going wrong and you're not at peace, that's the time to switch your anything and your everything around. This is the peace of the gospel. Now, Remember what, what we've been saying every week? I've been asking this question. I hope you get it right. If you don't get it right, just say Jesus. All right. Whose armor is this? God. You could have said Jesus too, been all right, right? This is God's armor. So this is God's way for us to protect ourselves from the schemes of the devil. So in a very real sense, Jesus, remember when he said, I'm, 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 I'm leaving you, and it kind of went over the disciples' head? Uh, when he left us and went to heaven, he left his armor with us for, for us to use. So allow me to go on a bunny trail for a minute and go to the Old Testament. I want to take you to the Old Testament for just a second. And there's this great model of what friendship looks like in the Old Testament. It's between two guys. One you're very familiar with. It's a man named David. David's the one that killed Goliath. David's the one that became Israel's greatest warrior and then Israel's most famed king. All right. The other is, a, is a, a man named Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of King Saul. All right. So if you don't know the story, Saul was the king. Jonathan was going to be the successor to him. Uh, but then the prophet of God said, no, 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 Saul, you're, you're not going to be the king anymore. God has chosen someone else. Someone who, who chases after his own heart, and that man was David. And so on paper, Jonathan should hate David, right? Because he was supposed to be the king, and no, 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 David's going to be the king. But he, they didn't hate each other. They had this beautiful friendship. I mean, it was a very odd friendship. I want you to think about it for just a second. David was a shepherd. <laughs> Jonathan was a prince. Jonathan had his own armor, the best armor money could buy, David had a harp and a slingshot. Jonathan grew up in the palace where he was trained every day on the art of war. David grew up in Bethlehem and was trained to take care of sheep. Jonathan was the oldest son in line to inherit the throne. David was the youngest of eight boys. Now think about that. I've got three boys and my youngest boy, Deacon, gets no opinion when the, when the four of us are together, right? Because he's the last one in line. Think about David, eight lines down. Like his brothers actually mocked him. Wait a minute, God's picking him to be the king? The, the youngest of eight. Two very different people. They had this beautiful, wonderful friendship. 
Jonathan's father, Saul, who was king, said, all right, David, I'm going to put you to work. You're going to go to war for me. I'm going to have you fight for Israel. But here's the problem. All David had was a slingshot. Now, it worked great with Goliath, didn't it? But he didn't have armor. And so Jonathan, his friend, said, you need good armor. If you're going to fight, you've got to have armor. So he gives David his armor, the best money could buy. Remember, this is the the king's son. He, He gives David his armor. I want you to see this real quick in passing, 1 Samuel 18, 4 and 5. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul sent him over the men of war. He became the, the, the leader of the army, of Saul's army. And this was good in the sight of all people and the sight of Saul's servants. So Jonathan said, listen, you're going to fight and you're unprotected. You need armor. So here's my armor. Take it and go fight. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul is talking about the armor of God, this is essentially and exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus says, listen, I'm leaving you, but you still are going to have these battles. The devil is still going to come at you. He's still going to attack, and you are not properly dressed. And so I am leaving my armor with you. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, leaves his armor with to the sheep, not to the shepherd like David, but to us, the sheep. And part of the armor that Jesus leaves us are these shoes of peace. He leaves his peace with us, right? Isn't that what he said in John 14, 27? Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. In other words, not this outside inside peace, but this inside out peace I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. Put these shoes on right here and go to battle. Colossians 3.15 says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And don't miss this and be thankful. You know, peacefulness and thankfulness are always interrelated. The more thankful we are, the more peaceful we become. So Paul says, let the peace of God rule your heart. So go back to Ephesians 6 real quick. Verse 15, he says, and as the shoes for your feet, having put on, don't miss this, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Readiness. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, listen, you need to sleep with your boots on. Don't ever take these shoes off. Always wear these shoes. Always be ready with these shoes. Never take them off. In other words, never separate yourself from the peace of God. Never try to isolate yourself from that. Always have the peace of God with you. Wear it like it's your skin. Walk in it. Fight with it. Live with it. Always have it. Never separate yourself from this peace I've given to you. Jesus said in John 16, 33, He says, he's about to go to the cross. He says, I I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Now, unfortunately, our our prosperity brothers and sisters stop right there, right? But the verse goes on, doesn't it? That in me you may have peace. And then Jesus gives us a promise, a guarantee. In 
this world, you will have tribulation. Tribulation means testing, trouble, trials, heartache, pain, grief. You're going to have this trouble. But remember, I left my peace with you. So then he says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I think somebody needs to hear that right now today. I, I know I do. In this world, you will have trouble. And when your anxiety is up and your worry is up and your fear and your depression set in and, and they cause you to constantly doubt yourself, doubt others, and doubt God, Jesus would tell you, hey, take heart. I have, I am, and I will always continue to overcome this world. And so this is a call for us right here. We must trust in this peace. When, when, when we're in this spiritual warfare and when the storms of life set in and when we're blinded by anxiety and worry, we must look above the circumstances and see that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is still reigning and ruling on his throne. He's still there and he still offers this, this peace that overcomes the world. We just got to stop trying to look through our circumstances and look up. When we look up to Jesus, we'll see up and over that cloud of fear, doubt, anxiety, and worry. Reminds me of John Wesley. He was this great preacher, great man of God century ago. He was on this farm talking to one of his, one of his uh, members, one of his churchgoers, and the guy was walking with Wesley, and he said, Brother John, he said, I, I don't know what to do. My heart is just always filled with this worry and trouble. At that moment, Wesley saw a couple of cows looking over a stone wall, just kind of peeking over a stone wall. And John Wesley used that opportunity as a teaching method. He said, do you know why those cows are looking over that wall? And the man said, no, no not really. And Wesley replied, the cows are looking over the wall because they can't see through it. And that's what you must do when that anxiety sets in. Don't look through it. Look up and look over it. This is the peace of God. This peace enables us to look past our circumstances and focus on Jesus. To keep our mind fixed on him. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, constantly fix your mind on Jesus. Constantly retool and regenerate your mind. We have this beautiful promise in Isaiah 26.3 that says this. You being God, keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. See, these shoes that, J that Jesus gave us are beautiful. They're very, very practical too. They're, they're, they're practical shoes because you could fight with them. They, they give you good footing. Uh, but again, as I just said, they're also beautiful and very, very stylish. Wearing shoes that are fitted with a piece of the gospel will never go out of style. They're always going to look fabulous. They're always going to be great looking shoes. One of my most memorable Christmases happened when I was in high school. And I'm not really much of a materialistic person. Um, but there was something I wanted when I was in high school. I mean, I, I wanted it so bad it, it, it made my soul yearn. <laughs> um, it was a pair of Air Jordan basketball shoes. The, the, they, Michael Jordan had come out with these new basketball shoes called Air Jordans. Uh, and here's, the, here's what's awesome. Th it was the first basketball shoe that cost over $100 right? Today, you can't find a pair of basketball shoes under $100. I know that. Uh, but, and so my dad, I'm the son of a truck driver, and my dad's like, I ain't paying $100 for a pair of shoes. 
not going to do it. So I was kind of bummed. I, that's really what I wanted. Uh, and so, you know, opened a few presents and, and then I, f- I opened this and I, it, it felt like shoes and I opened it and lo and behold, I got my very first pair of Air Jordans. Now, this is going to sound super silly to you, um, but something that you may not know about me is I'm somewhat of a sneaker head. I like shoes. I've got like five times more pair of shoes than my wife. Well, I told you she only has two pairs, um, but I, I like shoes, especially tennis shoes. So I remember getting those shoes, man, and going up to my room, and I just stared at them. And I was like, this is the greatest day of my life. I mean, this is so awesome. And it was time to go to grandma's house, and so we, I put those shoes on. And, like, I put them on, and I could not take my eyes off my feet. So I'm walking around, you know, bumping into walls, because like, I'm just, the, the, these shoes, I felt like, made my feet so, so beautiful. <laughs> so... Where am I going with this? <laughs> the, the gospel of peace not only enables us to stand firm in the goodness of God, but these shoes that we wear, hear me, when we put them on, they make our feet beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 10 when he says this? How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? In other words, he's talking about how are people going to know about Jesus unless we tell them about Jesus? He continues, and how are they going to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they going to hear without somebody preaching? Let's start right there. When you hear that phrase, without somebody preaching, you probably envision me or another pastor standing up here preaching. That is one form of preaching, but that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about this, and he's talking about all of us. He's talking about preaching with our lifestyle, preaching with our words, preaching with our actions, preaching with our attitudes, preaching to those who are lost and are going to die and go to hell without Jesus Christ if they're not covered by his blood. That's the kind of preaching he's talking about. He says, how are these people going to know if we're not doing this? And here is the money phrase, verse 15. And how are they going to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Do you know the most beautiful pair of feet that have ever stood before me in front of me were the feet of my grandfather, Vernon Barton, because he's the one that brought the gospel to me. He's the one that said, Kevin, man, these shoes you have on, They're not comfortable, they're not fashionable, they're not practical, they're gonna wear out. You need a new pair of shoes. You need a change. You need a peace. You need Jesus. And he brought the gospel to me. Now he was an old, ugly, farm feet looking guy, right? But his feet were beautiful to me because they brought me the gospel. You see, this peace that we speak about, God's peace that comes from, from the inside out, it goes with us everywhere, including to those around us who are unsaved. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, 
check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.